How is it possible that it's already August? We hope you are enjoying your summer. Back by popular demand is our AirPods Pro giveaway. Members who successfully answer our bonus content quiz will be entered for a chance to win a pair of AirPods Pro. To participate, you must have access to the bonus sections of the podcasts, which you get by becoming a member. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of August, you'll receive 50% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code BONUSCONTENT, one word, at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code Bonus content. Thank you for your support. Nine, twelve, ten, twenty-eight, two, twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super secret studio in the third sub basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. All right, welcome to the podcast. I am Mark Polymeropoulos, and this is DSR's Spy Show. Today, I am very happy to welcome as my guest, Jerry O'Shea. Jerry, welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. It's good to be here. So I'm going to embarrass you a little bit with, a, with, with some kind of bio and, and background. Um, uh, but first, let me just, just say that, that you are one of those uh, uh, officers in our service who is not only known as a tremendous uh, uh, case officer and, and, and manager, but you're a great storyteller. You're a great interlocutor. So this is going to be fun. I wish we had more than 40 minutes, but uh, uh, with your with your career and all the, uh, the incredible stories, um, could probably spend several hours here. But let me just give a, give the uh, the audience a little bit of background. You're originally from upstate New York. Um, uh, you were, as you have, you have said before, afflicted with a severe case of wanderlust. You left home at 18. You lived and studied in Germany, um, doing all sorts of odd jobs, waiter, construction, uh, then traveled years roaming Europe, Africa, South Asia, and the Middle East, and then attended university in Austria, Germany, Mexico, and grad school in Arizona. No wonder you had something like a Lawrence of Arabia complex. I love it. And then you recruited into the CIA, working undercover as an operations officer for, for uh, uh, over 30 years, extraordinary service to our country, um, serving again in, in Europe, Africa, South Asia, uh, and the Middle East. Numerous war zones. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit, and a four-time chief of station, which is really an extraordinary uh, achievement. And then, finally, one of the things that you you do now is is kind of taking a jump into the entertainment world. Um, and I think that's you know if, for for someone like myself, and I think a lot of the audience too, as we watch or read things about espionage. Uh, if you had practiced it, if you had been a practitioner, Hollywood doesn't necessarily get it right. So you can uh, you can. Fix those things, right? All those wrongs, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But again, you know, welcome, welcome, Jerry. Great honor to be here today with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and some of the stories I tell are partly true, so it's uh, it's fun. <laughs> now, I will say that uh, my co-host David Rothkoff is not here um, today. We're taping this a little off uh, uh, schedule because Jerry is uh, is halfway across the world. But um, I would not, I would be remiss in not saying that uh, my Red Sox uh, swept. David's New York Yankees, um, three straight. We'll call it the Boston Massacre, too. So if uh, uh, if David had been here, I would have talked quite a bit about the Red Sox victory and 
uh, as opposed to I think last week when we talked a lot about my attendance to various heavy metal shows over the last several weeks in the summer. So my summer's coming to an end of trying to be a, a college kid again. But let me just kind of uh, jump in right away. It's something that's that's probably near and dear to your heart is where you're living now, um, and the terrible tragedy that's that occurred with the wildfires in in Hawaii. Um, I think you know. First of all, uh, it's you know we we mourn the loss of life. But the second, you know, just as uh, you know, while the intelligence world is a little bit different than disaster preparedness, I I do want to kind of ask you, Jerry, you know, how in the heck did this happen? Yeah, I think the the the, the jury's still out, but it's going to be a. I think it's what's going to happen is they're going to find that it was a, you know, an incredibly unfortunate, tragic set of circumstances. Um, everything from environmental degradation with invasive species coming in, getting rid of the 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 the, the, the indigenous species that are more resilient and keep more um, more moisture in the ground, with uh, urban architecture. So in Lahaina, there was only two ways out, and 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 a lot of it sort of basic human um, human failures. For, for, for example, we've got this, technologically, we've got this great alarm system. You've probably heard about it, but it's, it's set for tsunamis. And so the, the, the people in charge of it, when the wildfire was happening, they were afraid if, if they set off the alarm, the, 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 the standing instructions were to seek higher ground, which would actually push people into the fire. So at that moment, they were wondering, do we, do we use the alarm and cause a greater loss of life or don't we? There wasn't an alarm for, for, for a fire and for a fire that was moving at you know, upwards of, of 50 to 60 miles an hour. And I happened to be in Molokai right next to Maui uh, the day before the fire started. And you know, we had this hot, dry wind whipping through and it only literally takes one spark to set it off. And, and of course, the town is all built of, of, of wood. And it's it's older, 80, 90 years old in the in sort of the downtown parts, and it's it's dry wood. So it was it was tinder dry and sort of being ready to ready to happen. And um failure I think was uh was, was one to prepare and was was one even to imagine what the, the consequences could be. And I guess there's a question too, because you know, we you and I have talked about this privately for for uh, uh on on multiple issues about kind of accountability in the national security world, maybe accountability in the intelligence arena with our old outfit uh, at CIA. But do you think there's going to be, and so I think one of the things that I've always, you know, stressed is that sometimes we are not held accountable as, as one should be. What about in Hawaii? Are they, are they going to start holding officials accountable? Oh, it'll be, you know, it's funny you say that because it's, it's, it's really echoes right now of what happened after 9-11. And I think the failure was really one of imagination. Same as 9-11. No one right. considered, realized this could happen. And of course, it won't happen again because we'll be ready for it. But what will happen next time will be something we're not ready for, right? So, so yeah, I think there's, there's accountability. But, you know, accountability too often comes down to let's find a victim and point at them, right? right? And then you get into this tweed ring thing. So I'd like to get away from, from, from you know, who is responsible and then come to a greater understanding of what what mosaic of of circumstances came together to make this possible. And I think climate change is going to be, you know, driving a lot of these things at the at the bottom of it. You know, you know, one of the things it. that I, that I recall it was I think it was maybe a month ago, um, and I I think I talked about it in in some media circles uh, on air. I, I believe was you know Bill Burns uh, uh, made a speech. Um, and he talked about some of the challenges for the intelligence community and, and, you know, it's the usual kind of great power competition with China, 
um, obviously Russia, Ukraine, but he mentioned climate change. And a lot of people sometimes roll their eyes on that. But if you think about, and, and he also, and he also said it's climate change and kind of other things like pandemics. But when you think about it now, there, you know, there are national security challenges that go beyond what we were used to in our career, which have to do with, you know, what's the next, you know, plague that occurs or, or what about climate? And I think there's nothing wrong with the intelligence community, you know, putting some focus on that. I, I think it's. I think we 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 have to. I think things like going deeper into issues and not addressing symptoms is really important. So climate change is going to, is going to drive things like unrest in the Middle East. You know, uh, it's going to drive. You know, it, you can't talk about Syria if if you you know or, or or Lebanon places like that if you can't talk about you know their inability to feed themselves. You can't talk about. Um, huge migrant um, exodus is going to Europe if you can't talk about what's going on in the Sahel where, again, they can't feed themselves. These are sort of existential things. So things like radicalism, things like mass migration, things like local conflict and war. I think they're, 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 they're complicated issues, but they're also being driven by existential drivers. And I think climate change is, is at its core one of those. And we need to understand how that fits into it. And of course, you know, and, and there's a political dimension in that, too. I mean, I think that, you know, sometimes there shouldn't be, but there is. Yeah. There shouldn't be, but the, uh, but there is. Let's let's just switch a bit um, to your career, you know, in the introduction and the bio. And again, I wanted to embarrass you a little bit. I didn't do a good enough job about it. But but with your you know, you really did have this incredibly diverse career. And so, you know, what do I know about Jerry? You know that I can say in public. Well, you you did everything from, you know. I think I I, I recall that you were um, witnessed the fall uh, of the wall, um, but then served uh, in Europe uh, uh, long after and saw kind of you know uh, uh, and what we can say not the rise of Trump, but the, but kind of the Trump foreign policy, which um, certainly did not put NATO at the kind of the forefront of our interests. And then of course you also served uh, in war zones and and. Um, did some really, you know, heroic stuff for the country, being uh, a part of some of the first teams in to some of our conflict zones. So, talk maybe maybe choose two or three moments of your career just to tell the audience. Um, you know, one of the things I always say is when I talk to young college students, I say, you know, CI is an extraordinary place um, where you can both witness history but also affect history. So, with that kind of theme in mind, um, give a sense of some of those seminal moments in your career. Yeah, so when we when we, we we talked about doing this, you know, alliances was was one of the things that we wanted to touch on, and 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 I think alliances fit into this really well, and it fits into very well with your career as well. So, yeah, as a as a young officer in Germany in '89, I happened to be in Berlin when I watched the wall come down, and um, you know, one of the things that 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 was very clear that came out of that was this reservoir of 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 goodwill toward democracies and toward you know a, a system of rules that the US represents and 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 leads but isn't the only member of and so is at that time not only not only the wall come down but watching the the baltic nations break free watching eastern europe break free of of the, you know of soviet tyranny and what did those countries want what was in their interest and our interest they wanted strong alliances with a partner they could trust that wasn't going to suppress them that would treat them as 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 partners and partnerships are difficult as is in any marriage 
Um, but what came out of that, I think, the, 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 the wall fell. Yeah, that was that's something that happened. But the result of that was a, an expansion of NATO, and not because NATO wanted to expand, but because those countries sought shelter under the NATO umbrella, that they wanted those alliances. And I think the, the magic and the genius of American foreign policy since World War II is creating those alliances. So let's go forward to September 11th, people in our generation, that was a, a, a touchstone thing. On September 11th, depending where you were, you would have seen turning on CNN, countries around the world, even you know for a while, including Russia, that 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 wanted to support us and you were in afghanistan and as was i and and you know there was people from the country of georgia and the baltics and the poles and the mongolians and the reason they were there yeah okay they felt bad about 9-11 but they also felt a sense of solidarity and they wanted to contribute toward this alliance and and i think today looking at ukraine and sort of where we are now and, and what we came through with the last administration, where we were able to, I think, just barely keep our alliances together, I think it is enormously important to us and in our interest to maintain those alliances that we've that we've had. And Mark, that you and I throughout our careers have struggled to keep going. And I say struggled because alliances is something maybe what we should talk about what they are. It's not a black and white. They're my friend. They're not. Alliances are something that you. That are that are shifting, that you need to continually work to rebuild, and that are based on common interest, and I would say trust, but trust at the bedrock level, not trust that one politician is going to say something bad about another, or they'll have different trade, different trade, um, uh, you know, policies. And I'll finish up by saying, oddly, in Europe, you know, the only major European country we've never gone to war with is the one that we like to make fun of a lot is the French, right? I mean, we fought the British, we fought the Germans, we fought the Italians, you know, but, you know, it was, you know, apart from the Belgians who, who love them, great Fritz, they don't really matter. The French, despite the fact that it's a complicated, difficult relationship, we've had 250 years of an alliance that has served us both very well and made us both stronger. So I, you know, I, I agree with you uh, really on everything you said. I mean, that's, that's really the theme of the show today, um, the importance of alliances. But I, you could also make an argument. I think actually uh, there, this is almost the, the phrase that, that people are throwing about for uh, President Biden's foreign policy um, is the, the importance of building alliances. If you look how we, you know, the, the kind of the moving the aircraft carrier to the east. Well, that means a U.S. focus on China. But what does that mean? It means, you know, additional basing in, in the Philippines. It means um, uh, you know, the, the recent summit at Camp David uh, yesterday um, with Japan and South Korea means an uh, 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 announcement of a future Biden visit to, to Vietnam. Um, I think the White House uh, yesterday said, well, it's really not all about China, except it is. And it's all about building alliances uh, uh, in terms of our kind of our, our, our struggle there. So I, you know, I, I, I agree totally with that. One thing that I think you've said in the past is, or, you know, you have to nurture alliances. Right. Um, and I think that's a, that's a perfect word. Um, and so maybe let's, let's jump in and talk just a little bit about what that meant um, in our old job uh, at CIA, because, you know, people always think that a CIA case officer, the job both of us had, we spend most of our time recruiting unilateral, you know, agents, sources. And that means, you know, uh, uh, kind of in a, in a methodical fashion, sometimes, sometimes it's quicker, but, but um, uh, asking someone to spy not against 
um, uh, their, their, their country against their government, but for the United States. Important and you do so, uh, and, 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 and they become a, you know, what's called a unilateral asset and we handle them with proper tradecraft. But one of the things that I think we forget about is that our liaison relationships, our alliances in the, in the intelligence world, they also, you know, uh, stop uh, uh, weapons proliferators, help us catch terrorists, help us catch spies and remiss, provide us incredible intelligence on Russia and China. And so talk about it, your experience um, uh, with, uh, you know, with, with, with liaison. And, and, you know, again, what I think is something that is not really focused on enough, but is, but is not only critically important, but also a skill for a case officer as well. Well, I think, no, I think I know, we both know that, that, that depending where you serve, you spend far more time working with liaison, with is a term we can discuss, but working, managing or nurturing liaison. Um, and I think it's important for an audience to understand, you know, sort of what it is we're talking about, sort of liaison relationships, alliances with foreign partners doesn't mean that they are our slaves, that they must do what we say or they're not on side. It also doesn't mean it, alliances are not a zero sum game either and too often in the our political discourse it's people are unhappy because there's a claim that we're being taken advantage of they're not spending enough or they're not doing enough and of course they look at us and and say the same right it it, it really depends on how you define it so there's this constant jockeying for for advantage and position. The same in any family. I'm one of 10 kids. My mother's one of 15 kids. You know, when we sit down, you know, 200 of us at our, you know, at a big family gathering, we're all a family. But man, the, 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 the spats and brouhaha's that go on within the family. And yet we are a strong family, right? Irish right. Catholics, but, but man, you know, the, 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 the Donnybrooks that take place. And it's the same with liaison. So people shouldn't be thinking, you know, is country, you know, are the Germans on side or not on side? It's not a black and white question. It's a question that talks about over decades and it talks about, you know, it talks about contributing advantage to you know, to us overall and to them. So, so, so yeah, um, I, I think if you want to talk about what, it, what, it, what a case officer does, bring it down to the micro level, early in our careers, we tend not to be something called declared, which is like the local government, the local service, the local government knows who we are, but fairly quickly within a, a tour or two, depending on where you are, um, I don't know about you, but my third tier, I was declared everywhere, right? right? I mean, the Russians, the Chinese, the friggin' Mongolians knew who I was, right? And it was like cover was gone. And 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 then you go into the you go into the 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 the, the, the part of your career, a much longer part for most of us, where you deal with foreign liaison. And to include foreign liaison with the Russians, right? You know, right. And, which allows you access to them as well. So they're, 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 they're good parts of it. So liaison is a something that Hollywood and in the popular imagination is, is not something that people talk about or think about it much. But, but on a day-to-day -day basis, when you think about what you did in your last three or four tours, you probably spent more time managing liaison relationships and explaining them to Washington on like the intricacies that they don't understand than you do actually handling sort of a unilateral asset, depending on, on, on your position, especially when you're in management. 
So, you know, you're, you know I think back to, I mean, I, I handled a relationship with, a, a, I got to be careful, of course, as you know this and, and how we say it with a, a, you know, a royal family in the Middle East. Sure. Um, and and in some cases, yep. because of the unique nature of CIA, uh, uh, you know, perhaps CIA has had these relationships even, uh, or deeper relationships even than our counterparts in the State Department would have. So, so you're right. So it's not only just in, in, in terms of, of, you know, liaison and the bilateral relationship, it's actually the political relationship too. And let me just ask, so, you know, one of the, there, was a, there was a piece in the New York Times um, uh, over the weekend, I think it was by Peter Baker, that talked about, uh, you know, kind of a growing sense of, and he, I think he called it panic in Europe about a, a second Trump uh, administration. And I think, you know, we're not going to, there's no reason to sit here and, you know, kind of start bashing um, uh, Trump for it. For, but uh, uh, although I think there's that we, we do that a lot. Uh, uh, but it's more of, of, of your experience um, as administrations changed when you were in those positions where you had to deal with the foreign service. Um, and how, how was the Trump administration during that time? You know, how was that different? And of course, what do you think is going to happen if there's a, a, a second term? Oh, man, I prefer not to go into hypotheticals, but I, I'll, I'll, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's compare, you know, cards. Uh, um, I've happily and, and loyally served both Republican and Democratic right. administrations. As we all did. As we all have. Um, and, you know, and was never, was never partisan, still not. I'm not a Democrat or Republican, right? I'm, I'm pro-U.S. and um, hard to put into a box, not, you know, progressive on some things and very conservative, right. especially on national security issues on, on others. But, but whatever conservative means, but um, basically, except for like embroidering on the edges, there was never a change in liaison relationships. There was an understanding that this was, especially in NATO, Article 5, and for your audience, that means that we all come to, you know, an attack on one is an attack on everyone, and that guarantees that NATO has never been attacked, right? Um, and... Um, the, the the last administration was the only administration since World War II to place Article Five in doubt. You know, they went on for a very long time where they talked about um, would they would they openly stand down in Article Five. Eventually and grudgingly, they inferred or suggested. I'm trying to think of the right word that no Article Five still stands, but for you know, for the other countries on the front lines, that makes us much less of a, much less of a trusted partner. And this is where things begin to fray. Now, you talked about the Pacific where we don't have a NATO. We had CETO for a while and, you know, it was a failure. Not all alliances work. And CETO went out in the, in, in the early seventies, Southeast Asian treaty organization. Um, but I think, Talking about the New York Times, you mentioned having Japan and South Korea together at Camp David um, talking together is something I think that is more important in guaranteeing American security and our rule base, our, our rule based law and order, law and order, our rule based um, order that allows us to buy, you know. Cheap jeans from 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 Vietnam and allows oil to flow through to to Taiwan, so we can buy computers and all the rest of this. All of this is based the the relationship with the the, the Japanese and the South Koreans is more important than building 
more battleships and 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 is more important than 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 building any amount of aircraft carriers that we could have enormous cost savings to the American taxpayer and beyond that I think the this administration and and you know even the administration before this at a working level were working to create a better relationship with with India so the the right. quad which is you know the Indians the Australians ourselves and, and 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 Japan I think that's also incredibly important not so much to contain China although that would sort of be a benefit for it but to create a a a in the South China Sea and, and other places to create a, uh, a a sense of of confidence and trust that one can invest and trade and and being here in Hawaii that's enormously important as well as for vis-a-vis North Korea vis-a-vis Russia vis-a-vis China and others who would do us ill. Well, you know, something came to mind as you as you were talking, and, and perhaps you had these experiences too. Um, uh, again, we always have to be careful about. Um, putting time and place and, and country we were in, but but I remember you know there were I had some interlocutors. Um, I will say from Europe uh, uh, when I was still uh, in and, and was the operations chief for Europe and, and Eurasia, who re- really did come to me and said, you know, have you all lost your mind? Um, uh, and this was when, of course, uh, uh, the former president was bashing NATO, and you know that, 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 that I think for for good reason. I I do sympathize with our current colleagues now. Um, uh, in various European capitals, uh, who will have to deal with this, and you know the the uh, uh, the notion also that there would be less adults in the room. I mean, I think that one of the reasons why you know Article, Article Five commitments um, were adhered to is because you did have people in the national security apparatus um, uh, who did believe that if the president did not, at least they did. Whether it's the national security advisor, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, others, I don't see any responsible adults who would join a second second term. Right. So um, America first doesn't mean America only and it shouldn't. Right. And that makes right. us it makes us weaker. Also too in talking about alliances let's talk about countries that don't have allies. Ah, that's right. weaker ones. Now I I think it 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 speaks volumes that neither Russia nor China they may have a few vassal states like like Syria that are only good for as long as the dictators around, right? Or Lukashenko, who's going to be, you know, will be overthrown within our lifetime. I'm I'm betting, um, but but they have no allies whatsoever. They have a few people like, you know, Iran and Russia. I mean, that is a transactional, you know, that is a transactional relationship between two. You know, between a theocracy and a and a and a, and a dictatorship, and is it, it is as strong as the Hitler-Stalin pact, right? And so they 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 don't have real relation, they don't have real alliances, and that makes them in the long run much weaker than 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 the U.S. Well, you know, the the greatest allies are ones that you certainly share. Uh, you do have some shared values, but also that can inspire each other. And so uh, I, I agree. You know, Russia, China, Iran. Um, much different case. So this is the point in the podcast um, where we have to say goodbye to our guests who are not yet subscribers. If you want to listen to the rest of the podcast and all of other shows in full, please go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's only $5 a month and it brings you a lot of great bonus content. So if you're not a subscriber, we we hope you will be soon. And if you are one, stand by. We will be right back in a moment.